So good morning. This morning I'll be preaching out of James 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. This morning we've talked quite a bit about God speaking. John just quoted Jeremiah where God's word is a hammer that crushes the rocks. We hear about God's word that it's, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know of God's word that God created the universe through words. He spoke and it was so. Throughout the Bible, God speaks and things happen. God is at work through his words. His Bible, his word, is his words to us that we may know him and have faith in him. If he did not speak, we would have no hope. So God is God who speaks, and he created us in his image, and therefore we speak. And when we look at the word of God and how he speaks to his people, how he speaks to us through the word, and when we look at how God speaks, how we speak to one another, there's a great disconnect there. So I want to ask a couple questions. Do you often think before you speak? Do you take time to consider what you're saying and the potential impact your words will have on others? Do you consider how your words may encourage, edify, build up, or exhort others? Do you consider how your angry, hateful words will darken hearts, destroy relationships, and lead to agony? And tragedy. The very words, the very ability to communicate that God has given us allow us to communicate the gospel with great hope. It also allows us to bully people to the point they commit suicide. Our words matter. As God's words matter that He gave to us in His Word, our words and what we say to others matter. Now, when I say words, when I say speech or the tongue, these words are interchangeable throughout the sermon today. But I want to say this. We don't communicate only with words. It's our tone, it's our attitude, it's our body language that we communicate with. Because we can say something, the same word, I love you, in so many different ways that it can come off as sarcastic, cruel, loving, affirming. So, what we are communicating with our bodies, with our tones, with our attitudes. This is our words today. We're going to see that God cares about our words today in James. Now, when we consider the questions I asked about our attitudes, we're going to notice that oftentimes we don't think about our speech. Oftentimes, our speech beats our thinking. We don't even think about what we say until it's done. Then we say, did I just say that? We find ourselves naturally speaking things that are full of pride, slander, gossip, malice, or anger. We find that we can be at church preaching the word or singing and praising God, pull out of the drive, get cut off at the stop sign, and start cursing the guy in the other car, and he can't hear us. Now, words have great power. We see this throughout the scripture in God speaking. And God gives a lot of Scripture to our words. The book of Proverbs is full 
of details about our speech. Jesus speaks about our speech. In the book of James, I did the math this morning because I'm a math guy and this connects with me. James spends at least one-sixth of the book dealing with speech in one way or another. This is important. Now, I'm thrilled that we've been preaching through this book at Redeemer. It's been very exciting for me to be able to hear the other guys preach, to be able to be engaged by the text in, in a different way. As I hear Caleb, as I hear Kyle, as I hear Travis, and others preach. One of the things that this has done, preaching this book together has done for me, is it's helped me see the connections throughout the book of James that before I kind of left um, separate. And one thing I learned from Caleb, for example, is last week Caleb taught about faith and works. Did a great job. I really appreciated it when I listened to the sermon. And this week we deal with our speech. Well, how is James chapter 2 connected to James chapter 3? Why would James follow works with words? You know, he says faith and works and 11 verses about words. 12 verses about words. And after hearing the other sermons and speaking with others that have been preaching through this text, I realized that James 3 is the natural progression from James 2. Because in James 2, our words are works. James 3 is showing an example of these faith-producing works. Our words are these works. Not all of them, but many of them. Now, I'm borrowing part of Caleb's sermon proposition from last week because we're so tied together here. We're going to see that true faith today will be accompanied by good words toward our fellow men. True faith will be accompanied by good words toward our fellow men. Now, my text is James 3, 1 through 12, as I was saying. It's page number 1,012 in the Pew Bibles. I'm going to read it. James 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. We're going to look at four ways today that true faith in Jesus impacts our speech. 
So we're going to look at how, first, that true faith realizes the difficulty of taming the tongue. We will then see how true faith recognizes the power of the tongue. We're then going to see how true faith resists the perverseness of the tongue and how true faith rebukes the inconsistency of the tongue. So let's look at the first one. True faith realizes the difficulty of taming the tongue. Now, James starts verses 1 through 12 with a warning to teachers about becoming teachers. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, he's warning to the church that to become a teacher, he warns about this judgment with strictness and judgment. That being a teacher of the church, a leader, a pastor, a community group leader, these positions of authority that those who, who strive to have these positions of teaching will be judged more strictly. Now, he gives this word of warning right after talking about works and then talking about words. Why? Primarily, a teacher's role is a role of words. It's actions as well. Our faith has to act, but it's also our words. Teachers use their speech to communicate truths about God. They teach the gospel. They teach the, the whole counsel of the word of God. And because of this calling of God to this role and the trust given to teachers to teach others the word in the church, these men are judged more strictly. Now, this is meant to be a word of warning. Let not many of you become teachers is not, he's not saying this because he doesn't want anyone to step up to help lead the church. Hey, guys, we don't want pastors. He's not saying that. He wants people to count the cost and understand the responsibility of taking that high calling. Now, while James starts this chapter directly speaking to people, teachers in particular, does not mean that this is not fit for the rest of us here, that we can all sit back and say, well, there's a few community group leaders here and there's a few elders here and everybody else can sit back and relax. This text doesn't have to do with us. Well, that's not the case. While he starts with those people who desire to be teachers, his teaching here applies to us all. Why? We're all going to be judged. We are all going to be judged, in particular, for our speech. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 12, 36, that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So this teaching is for us all. James 3, 1 through 12 is for us all. He warns that judgment for our idle words is for us all. Every careless word, every thoughtless word, the comments made to your spouse and child in anger, the grumbling that we do as we walk away from our spouse and they ask us to take out the bin of filthy, stinky diapers for the 14th time that week, um, that's me. The words said behind the back of your coworkers, the gossip about neighbors, family members, and church members that sometimes is wrapped around a prayer request. Every careless word will be held accountable for. Do you feel the weight of this? Every careless word? Now, some of you, right now, I know there's people in the church, they're saying, well, I'm not very careless with my words. I'm very, very intentional with my words, and really, I don't feel any weight of this at all. I feel like I'm going to go before Jesus. He's going to say, hey, good job with the speech. Well, James responds to that attitude in verse 2. 
James says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. We all, we, him included, we all stumble. So everyone here at some point or another struggles with their speech to different levels, in different ways, but we all struggle with our speech. This text calls us in James 1 and 2 to bridle our tongues. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And the text calls us to bridle, to control. A bridle is put on a horse to direct it in the way it should go. This text calls us to bridle our tongues. Now, throughout the book of James, like I said, one-sixth of the book of James is given to speech. In James chapter 1, he speaks about those who do not bridle their tongues, their religion is worthless. He says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. In chapter 2, he warns against those who would say, be warm and well-fed, with their words and their actions would not line up with that. They didn't help the person. In James chapter 4, he speaks about rejoicing. In James chapter 5, he speaks about rejoicing and do not grumble. Throughout the book, James is pointing again and again and again that our speech matters. We are to bridle and control our tongues. Now, James was not there. James did not do this perfectly because he said we struggle, we stumble, we need to bridle ourselves. So think back on your last week or even just this morning. When you got angry, were you slow to speak? Did you complain when something went wrong? Did you slander or gossip? Did you grumble? Do you speak to your spouse in a gracious and loving way to build them up? Spouses, you can look at your spouse and you can say yes or no right there. There's feedback. How do you speak to your children and grandchildren? Our words matter. And here's the thing. The words that we don't think matter are the words often that matter the most. As you reflect back on your week or your month, you'll see that you said words you didn't expect. And oftentimes we don't remember what we said. We say it, it's a word in the wind, and it's gone. But guess what? The people we said it to do. Guys, our words matter. Our words really matter. Whether it's you know, verbal bullying, whether it's you know, nicknames we make up for our children, our words matter. I, I, I struggle with this because I still struggle with words said to me as a child, with words said to me as a high schooler. Just cruel, vicious bullying that happened in high school and junior high. You know, my dad, I love him to death. I have a great relationship with him, but my sister and I, even at this Christmas, we're we're pointing out the fact that my sister, all the years growing up, was princess and sweetheart and love. Me? Monster. Well, you know, the thing was, when 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 I was up, you know, when I'm emotionally stable, I understand that's a term of affection, 
But when I'm doubting myself, when I'm 28 and single and have no prospects, I start to wonder, am I a monster? That same word that was meant for affection got in my head and heart, and it just, what am I? Who am I? What are these words that identify me? Our words matter, guys. Our words impact the hearts and souls of those around us. And it's so difficult to tame the tongue. Now, when we talk about James 3 in speech, our words are not always bad, and our words are not always good. We are people in process. We are human beings that God, by His grace, keeps us from sinning as badly as we can in this. But it's of utmost importance that we strive to tame our tongue, that we strive to do this. But why why are words so important? Why are words, what, why do they have so much power? Why, why, am I, why, are we, why does James have this in the book? We're going to answer those questions in the next couple of verses. So real faith, we've seen how real faith recognizes the difficulty of taming the tongue. We, we, we say nice things one time, we say horrible things the next. We don't, we're not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. We've seen this. But we've all failed to do this. We're now going to look at more detail in speech itself. So we're going, to, we're going to look at how true faith recognizes the power of the tongue. Let's look at verses 3 through 5, the first part of 5. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by, such strong, by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James makes two illustrations here. A bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. Now, a bit is a very small piece of metal that's in the back of the horse's mouth that connects to the bridle that lets them, the, the, the rider of the horse guide the horse where it'll go. By pulling at it, they're able to steer the horse and control it, but it's very, very small and very, very light compared to this giant animal. In the same way, a rudder could be under one hundredth the size of a ship, and it guides the entire ship where it'll go. So James is saying in verse 5, it is, with, it, it is like that with our tongues. They are a small member, a small part of our body. Yet they boast of great things. Now James gave us this picture of the bit and the rudder to show us that this small thing can have great power in our lives. Our tongues, our communication, our speech, we boast of great things. Our tongues so often guide and direct our lives. That's the direct meaning of the illustration. The tongue drives the life like the bit directs the horse. The tongue drives the life like the, like the rudder directs the ship. How does this work? Well, with our words, we make promises. With our words, we make vows to our spouses. With our words, we, we shape the, the identity, the, the development of our children. With our words, we work. With our words, we serve. With our words, we proclaim the gospel. 
Words have great power. Words have changed the world. You know, we are here to look at the Bible, the Word of God recorded that's been at work for, you know, that God has been at work through for thousands of years. The Old Testament, speaking through Moses, and even today, in His Word, He's still at work. Words have changed the world and they will continue to do so. So, words can do great, great things. We proclaim the gospel, we encourage, we bless, we edify, we help people who are, who are suicidal to, to recognize their, their worth and value in Christ. We encourage and build up one another. But words are also swift to destroy. We can drive others to doubt themselves. We can say things that are hurtful to our spouses, not even thinking and crush the heart that they are entrusting us with. We can use bullying and abusive language toward others. Guys, this is real. This is real. There's a, t- there's a term for online bullying, using words to hurt others called bully side, which is suicide related to bullying. A study in Britain showed that out of the 4,000 Teenage suicides there, 2,000 died due to bullying. Half the suicides in Britain in one year died because of people's words. Our words have power, guys, to bless, to curse. We are created in the image of God and our words have power. And the people we speak to are created in the image of God. And they're put in our lives for a purpose. God has established where they will live and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they may seek after Him. And God uses the church, He uses His people to engage them with the truth of the gospel. To help sharpen one another in Christ-likeness. What are we going to speak Words of life or words of death? Because our words have power. They're not neutral. Where do the words in our lives come from? You know, say, well, I think about it an awful lot. And oftentimes we do. But frequently we don't think. It's just overflow. We, we, what happens when you slam your toe into, the, side, into the, the coffee table at three in the morning in the dark? What words are coming out of your mouth? You're not thinking that through ahead of time. When you get cut off in traffic and you see your life flash behind your eyes, you say some things that you're not thinking about ahead of time. Where do these words come from? Well, Jesus in Matthew 12, 33 through 35 says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers speaking to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus shows here that our tongues drive our lives, and our tongues are driven by our hearts. More particularly, the tongue is the overflow of the heart. So how do we change our speech? Oftentimes we say, oh, that's just the way he is. This is the way, I'm just, I'm just coarse, I'm just angry, I'm just sarcastic, I'm just mean, I'm just grumbling. 
That's just the way I am. But really, guys, we can't justify sin with our speech. We can't say it's okay to be condescending to our spouse. It's okay to be cruel toward others. We can't say that if we're Christians. We're called to speak in a way that honors God. So how do we change our speech? Well, we need a new heart. Only a heart that's made right, right with God through faith in Christ. The new heart that's, that God is taking out that heart of stone and bringing a heart of flesh will find itself changed into a heart in which speech will be honoring to God. Only a heart that's changed by faith in Christ will grow to continue to produce godly speech. Only a heart changed by the gospel will drive our tongues and our lives to living in a way out our faith in our works and our words. So the challenge here, first and foremost, is if you don't know Christ, if you're not trusting in him for the forgiveness of sin, you recognize my words have done great harm, my words have destroyed, and I'm liable before God for judgment. What hope do I have? There's hope for forgiveness and grace in Christ. There's hope for forgiveness from our sin by repenting, turning from our sin, and trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and the hope of eternal life. So I would encourage you, repent and believe. Trust in Jesus' finished work in the gospel that he has accomplished all that needs to be done for you to be right with God. Trust and hope in him and realize he can forgive and he can take back, he can work in the hearts of those that you've hurt with your words and in your own heart to redeem those, those, those words that were said. So, if you do not believe, if you do not know Christ, trust in Him. For those of us who do know Christ, what about our hearts? Well, we're a work in progress and we're not going to be perfected outside of heaven, but we want to strive to be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to be angry, as James already told us, and Travis told us. We also want to strive to hide his word in our heart, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we've seen that true faith realizes the power of the tongue. And next, we're going to look at how true faith resists the perverseness of the tongue. So verses 5, the second part of 5 through 8 James gives this picture, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison." In verses 5 through 8 here, he shows in blunt, clear illustrations that the tongue's inherent nature is evil. It's perverse. When we read, the call to, when we read this text about the fire and the poison and set on fire by hell, you see why he's so incessant about bridling your tongue, taking it under control. If the tongue's natural state is this, then we must bridle it or our natural inclination in responding to others and speaking is going to be frequently evil. 
Now, in verse 5, we see this picture of a forest set fire set ablaze by a small flame. And over my life, I've heard of many forest fires. I've actually looked this up multiple times for sermon illustrations. That are start by cigarette butts, lightning strikes, and people who just left their campfire and didn't put it out. One small spark is enough to destroy tens of thousands of acres. And I could tell you stories about old things in, in the past and towns that were burned to the ground, but guys, I don't have to go past December last year. California in 2017 had wildfires that scorched 500,000 acres. That's too big of a number for me to really see, to be honest with you. I have a hard time with six or seven or ten. But I can see that it destroyed 7,000 houses were destroyed by these wildfires. At least 42 people are confirmed killed by these wildfires. Each of these fires caused by small flame, by unintended campfire, by a spark, by a lightning strike. So James is saying that the smallest flame can lead to much destruction. And he tells us, Our tongues are fires. We can easily cause that destruction. Guys, once again, if there's one thing you get from me today, our words are not neutral. Our words matter. They're either going to give life or they are going to destroy. Your words, my words, they impact the lives of those who hear them. And they impact our lives as well. I know many of us have different experiences with family and different experiences with church. So some of you are going to be like, yes, a lot quicker than others on this. But have you seen how much destruction happens in a family or in a church because of words? Words that are said in anger or in frustration that cut relationships asunder. Words that are said that cannot be taken back and destroy marriages. Words that are said about others in church that break fellowship. How many churches, families, friendships, jobs, and relationships are destroyed when we don't bridle our tongue because of this evil? How many times do we say something as this one spark that blazes out of control and destroys much? How many lives have we affected by our speech? Guys, I was bullied a lot until I got big enough that people just left me alone. It happens when you get bigger than them generally, especially when you're a wrestler, um, at least for me. But, guys, I bullied. That was how I was treated, so I treated others like that, so I would feel some kind of control and power. And I look back and I wonder, and I've talked to some of the people that I bullied, but i got to wonder how much of an impact my words had on these people even now that I don't know. I know the power of the words that were said to me because they still echo in my heart and mind at times. So, We have to be aware of our speech. Now, verses 7 and 8 here point out just how hard it is to tame the tongue. James says, 
every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. He's like, we can tame everything. You know, we can tame animals of all kinds. We can tame wolves and dogs and cats, and you name it, we can tame it. I've seen people who have, who have tame alligators, tame lions. I wouldn't get in the pen with them, but, you know, these tame animals. But no one can tame the tongue. He wants us to understand the deliberateness we have to take to bridle and control our tongues. The only one to ever have perfectly used their tongue was Jesus Christ. His words, we still come to the Word. We still study His words. We still meditate. We come together because God became man and dwelt among us and spoke perfectly. And His words still echo throughout history. And they will until He returns. We need to be aware that our natural inclination of our speech is to destroy. Because once again, it is so easy to go throughout our day-to-day life and say, well, speech is neutral. Well, guys, speech is not neutral. We can't just say, well, you know, it's my personality. I I love this. I've talked about this with others. Even in church. Well, he's really mean, but that's his personality. Oh, he's always cruel and sarcastic, but that's just his personality. Oh, she's she's slanderous and a gossip, but that's just her personality. No, it's not. Guys, we have to be honest enough with ourselves to say it's sin. He's condescending. No, that's sin. You name it. Guys, we have to be able to recognize that. Because we can't resist the perverseness of the tongue if we don't recognize the sin in our own hearts. And we do this. We resist this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We do this by bridling our tongues, by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. We do this by hiding the word of God in our hearts so that the overflow of our hearts would be driven by Christ, driven by the scripture, driven by truth, driven by love for others. The tongue will ne- out this side of glory, this side of heaven, our tongue is never going to stop warring against us, trying to get loose and destroy people, consume our families and relationships. But we need to strive to bridle our tongues day by day to control it and guide it to the glory of God. And this is important for true faith in Christ will bridle the tongue and use it for good toward their fellow man. Now the final call that God has us today for us in James 3 is that a true faith rebukes the inconsistency of the tongue. So James has dealt with the difficulty of taming the tongue the power of the tongue and the perverseness of the tongue. The last point today is that true faith rebukes the inconsistency of the tongue. Now we see this in verses 9 through 12. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come forth blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. From the same mouth, we bless God and curse man. Same mouth, we, 
We praise God. And we slander. Do you see the issue here? He's pointing out the inconsistency in our lives, in our speech. If speech is really the overflow of our heart, if speech is, if we're trying to strive to bridle our tongues, then what's really coming out of the speaker? Our tongues are wholly inconsistent. They should not be so. You can say the the greatest words of praise toward God, love toward the spouse, blessing toward the children, and the next, very next minute, turn around, curse and swear at the guy in traffic, you know, curse and swear at politicians, actors, actresses, Twitter people who get you angry, Facebook stuff. And guys, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but communication does include Twitter and Facebook. Just going to put it out there. Our words there matter as well. We profess our love to God and then we curse those made in his image. This cannot be. These things ought not to be so, he says. James uses these images of a spring bringing out good water and bad water, a salt pond giving salt water and fresh water, a fig tree producing olives or a grapevine producing figs. None of these things can happen, guys. These things don't happen. It's inconsistent. We are here, we are gathered here today to hear the word of God proclaimed, to gather as his children, to encourage and edify one another, to come together to to worship Jesus and to walk as his disciples. And we're called in this text to recognize the inconsistency of our speech should not be. We must, once again, bridle our tongues, guys. We must take control of our speech And while no one, none of us here may perfectly tame our tongue in our lifetimes, we're all called to strive to bridle it, to control it, and to use it for the glory of God. To recognize the evil and to repent of our speech, to apologize where necessary, guys, that makes a big difference of our speech. We must recognize how we use our tongues. Where necessary, we repent. We need to repent of our hardness of heart. We need to repent of the way we communicate to others. We need to repent of our ignorance, our apathy, and our desire just to, I I just want to vent. That's code word for I want to complain and say all the stuff I shouldn't say as a good Christian. I just want to vent. Oh no, guys. We want to strive to control our tongue, to use it to honor God. And we have to do this not, this is not a, a text that says, just change your behavior and try a lot harder. No, this is a text that's tied to James 2. Our faith, our words, our, our faith produces works while our faith produces words in our life. We want to strive for our words to be, James is pointing out just how hard this is. And he wants us to see that so that we strive. Speak words that edify and encourage. We must put aside grumbling, complaints, slander, anger, rivalry, rival, rivalry, malice. We must put on, put off these things. Put on love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. 
We must hide the word of God in our hearts. Now, we've looked today at the tongue, at speech, at its power. We've looked at God's call for us to bridle our tongue. We've looked at the perverseness and the inconsistency of the tongue. I pray that we've seen that true faith will be accompanied by good words toward our fellow man. It's not enough to say, I do nice things for others. Our words preach the gospel. Our words reflect our hearts and our faith as well. So let us stop blessing God and cursing man. Let us strive together as a church to the glory of God to bridle our tongues, to encourage one another, to rebuke one another where necessary, that we all would grow more and more to the image of Christ and use our speech to the glory of God. Let us store up the word of God in our hearts. Let us speak to the glory of God and let the overflow of our hearts be honoring to God in our speech. Let us pray.